0: of the Lord but uh, tonight we find ourselves back in the book of Nehemiah we are in uh, chapter number eight last week we looked at a lot of things where we got a lot of our traditions from it was it was good I mean it was good I had a few other people that listened to the uh, the recording as well reached out to me uh, really enjoyed it and asked me they said can, can I rob your outline I said you ain't got to rob it you can have it amen you you go back and you you tell your crowd what i what i 've learned, so uh, i 'm glad it's uh, helped a lot of people It sure did helped me but we're going we 're going to pick up in in verse number uh, nine tonight i 'm going to try to get through as much as I can here uh, tonight in this short little bit so Untitled uh, entitled tonight's uh, message, Restoring Holiness in the Holy Place. That's really, really the, the whole idea that's going on here. I mean, before I even read the scriptures, let me just get you caught up for just a moment. You, you realize they have rebuilt the walls. They have rebuilt the holy place. They're trying to bring holiness back into the holy place. They're trying to bring worship and preaching back to the holy place. And we're going to find out they have these, 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 this feast that goes on uh, the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. It lasts eight days. It's it's like an eight day revival, if you will. And we'll learn in the next chapter over. This leads to fasting, and this leads to repentance. This leads to the priest standing up and preaching about, hey, if we want to get to going to and. and do the things of God in the future, we must depend and look back on Moses and what God did through Moses. If we want to continue on in what we're doing, we must travel the old paths, which is the good way for them. It's going to be the good way for us. And they bring up Moses. They bring up Joshua and said, if it worked for them, it'll work for us too. And so we'll see that in the next chapter. But before we even get there, before we even get to the whole repenting, They have already ushered in the presence of God In chapter number 8. And we've seen when they fell on their faces. The presence of God is there. And it took the presence of God to start the worship. And then as the worship continues. And as they continue to worship the Lord. A conviction will come over somebody. Even a saved person. And and we're going to see that in just a moment. Why that is. And, And it leads to a lifestyle change. Where through the worship God can show you. Hey you like. Like this, you like what you have with me. Well, it can be stronger, it can be deeper, it can grow more. But there's some small things in your life that's hindering you. From walking with me like I want you to walk with me. And so there's this whole idea, this whole principle of holiness. Uh, holiness is not a denomination, it is a lifestyle in which we live as we purge out the sin in our life and, and we replace it with the things of God. And so to restore holiness into the holy place, it starts with worship. Then it starts, with, then it continues with consistency in that worship. Then with that consistency, it leads to praying and fasting. And through that comes repentance. And so we're going to see you starting in verse number 9 tonight. And Nehemiah, which is the Tershathia, which is we'll find out to be kind of like a governor. And Ezra, the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. So let look at the first part. Uh, we realize that Nehemiah, the tashetha, the that is considered like a governor in today's age. Uh, uh, you know, you realize that we, we are different states that's made up into the united states of america and the governor is essentially the top dog for that state he's kind of like a president if you will so so now nehemiah is now a ruler or a governor he governs the people and now here he is he's kind of moved back into a position of power that says a lot about his character because where did he start off at he was the royal cupbearer in chapter number one and what did He do? He humbled Himself in the form of a servant just to be elevated back up into another position of power. And so we, we see that. When, he, when it says, This day is holy unto the Lord your God, you have to understand that these people here, they went through a long season of not worshiping God. You, you do realize that in the Old Testament there were rites and rituals and ceremonies that had to happen for them to worship. But in the New Testament, we worship freely, Through the Holy Spirit. There's got to be order in the church. We do realize that. But there's a little bit more freedom in the New Testament church age. And so they hadn't worshipped God. They literally stopped coming to church, if you will. They did not come to church for a long time. And here they are. They haven't heard the Word of God preached on the radio. They haven't heard anything about the things of God. And for the first time in a long time, they heard the preaching of the word of God. This calls them, the Bible says, for, for, for they, all, they all wept. Uh, I mean, th- whenever you start getting back into that place where God has called you to be, something's wrong with you if you don't start weeping, even if it's at home. Even when it's not in front of everybody else, something should stir inside of you, and that should be the spirit of God when you you start to get back into the things of God. I mean, I mean, they they wept because of twofold: one, because God's spirit was upon them; they haven't felt the presence of God in so long. They didn't know how to control their emotions, and that's a good thing. They were very emotional. The second fold, the second reason, is more of a negative side. I mean, have you ever read? The, the law of Moses. That was, that's what was read to them. It'll make you cry because there's 613 Levitical laws and, and when you go through each of them you're going to find out quickly it is impossible to keep them all. I mean that that enough is, is enough to make you cry when you go back and you read those Levitical laws and, and every single thing that you had to do precisely in just the exact order. Honey I don't care how great you are or how organized and planned out you are there's eventually going to be a law that you're going to break. And as the word of God says, says in the book of James, if you've offended God in one law, you've offended Him in all. If you break one of God's laws, you might as well have broke all 613 Levitical laws. I mean, they realized that, that they had been away from God for, for so long. They've been away from the presence of God for so long. And they've broken so many laws for so long. It caused them to weep. But there's comfort for the people. Because they go on to say in verse 10, then He said unto them, You know what? Take a time out. Go your way. Eat the fat and drink the sweet and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people saying, Hold your peace for this day is holy. Neither neither be ye grieved. I mean, these Levites, you don't understand. These are the priests. And they're out there doing what God told them to do. They're preaching the Word of God. And it got on so much in that service, all people could do was cry. I mean, if if I was preaching and and the entire congregation just starts crying and weeping, you think I'm still going to stand up here and preach? No! Because God's moving and God has arrested the service. The best thing I can do is sit down and shut up and let God move. And that's what they did. I mean, they they quite literally told them, okay, we're going to take a time out. Today is still God's day. It's a holy day, but you are now where God wants you to be. You're in a place that even my preaching can't get you to. You are into the presence of Almighty God. I better the, the preacher had enough discernment to move out of the way and let God move. That that's what happened. And so he tells them, he says, Go your way. Go home. He says, Eat the fat and drink drink the sweet. I mean, he's telling them to go get you a nice ribeye steak and get you some sweet tea. Amen. He said, Drink the good stuff. Eat you a good hearty meal. And and what you have left over, take that portion, and those that have nothing prepared, go bless them. They, they don't have they're so poor they don't have a meal. Why don't you go, won't you run somebody a meal? Make their just make their day. I mean this this happened during church. Are you with me? And so that, that lets me know, that lets me know that, that there is a time, there is a time where yes, the preacher needs to preach the Word of God full of uh, boldness and, and sometimes even fury, but it can't always be blood and guts. Amen. The preacher should have enough discernment not to beat up on everybody all the time. Amen. But also have a balance of grace. Not everything should always be hellfire and damnation. Sometimes people need to be reminded about the goodness and the grace of God and how sweet heaven is and how it's going to be when we cross over that river. Amen. And so there must be a balanced diet in the preaching of the Word of God. And so these Levites had enough discernment to give comfort to the people in this holy place. Uh, let's see, verse, uh, verse number 12 says, And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and, send, and to send portions, and to, and to make great mirth, because they had understood the words which were declared unto them. So both the words of Scripture and the words of comfort caused them to rejoice. I mean, that's something that we ought to say. We ought to say we thank you, Lord, for allowing us the privilege to hear the Scriptures and allowing us the privilege to be comforted by your Spirit. We also see that fellowshipping is essential. I mean, really, to have a happy and healthy church, we must fellowship. Instead of spread all out. We actually get to know one another. This is essential for a happy and healthy church. Then we see in verse thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, and on the second day. Let me pause right there and, and just and stop, stop just for a minute. They just had church. Y'all remember? They just got up early in the morning. The man of God brought out the word of God. They put it up on the pulpit made of wood. That was the platform. All the associate pastors, if you will, they're up there. They preached the Word of God all morning long. And then they worshipped for several hours after. That took up their entire day. And then they showed up next day. They showed up for the second night of the revival. They said, it was so good, I need it again. There was something to be said about that. And on the second day, uh, on the second day we're gathered together, the chief of the fathers of all the people... The priests and the Levites unto Ezra the scribe, even to understand the words of the law. And verse 14, And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month, <clears throat> and that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go forth and... Unto the mount, and fetch olive branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of thick trees to make booths as it is written, so the, we're seeing here in the, in these verses that they're speaking of the Feast of Tabernacles, which was a time of great joy, I mean it made their minds go back to the years of the wilderness wanderings. And, and, and it goes back to that time, even despite their disobedience, uh, God tabernacled with them. I mean, uh, whenever he says they, in verse 14, uh, the, the children of Israel shall dwell in the booths in the feast of the seventh month, you can go to a comparison text, I want second time, over there in the book of Leviticus. It talks about this feast of tabernacles. So what are they doing here? Here in Nehemiah's day, they're doing what they used to do, what their ancestors used to do. They worship the same way Mama and them worship. They didn't change anything, it was the same worship. They didn't sell out, they didn't go contemporary, they didn't change their Bibles, amen. They didn't drop their standards or convictions. They did it exactly as God prescribed them to do it. And they did exactly, they wanted to restore holiness, not worldliness. Holiness into the holy place. They did exactly what God told them to do. Verse 16 and 17. So the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booths. Everyone upon the roof of his house and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the street of the water gate and in the street of the gate of Ephraim and all the congregation of them that were, that were come again out of captivity made booths and sat under the booths. For since the day of Jeshua the son of Nun, who by the way is Joshua the son of Nun in the book of Joshua, unto that day had, had not the children of Israel done so. And there was very great gladness. So you realize that, that there had been a long time period. Joshua's generation was the last generation to do what they're doing. What did they decide to do whenever they said, all right, let's have church? They didn't do what the world was telling them to do. They went back to the Bible and followed God's words and everything that, that, that was told to do. Verse 18, also day by day, from the first day unto the last, he read in the, book of, uh, uh, in, in the book of the law, and they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day was a solemn assembly according to the manner. They had preaching for seven days over and over and over and over and over again. Talking about traditions, this is where we get those week-long revivals. Because that's what they did in the Old Testament. There's nothing wrong with what we're doing. Nothing wrong with the two-night revival. And in the fall, nothing wrong with the three-night revival. And, And that's fine. But that tradition comes from Nehemiah. There's a lot of things that carry over into our church age dispensation. That's where we get a lot of these principles from. But the whole idea, the whole idea, church, is if we want to have University Baptist Church to be a place, a holy place... It must be a place full of holy people. And you do realize to be a holy person, it's not your goodness, it's His goodness. Amen. You have to be saved. Amen. Uh, And and because you're saved, there's going to be a purging, a cleansing in your life. Uh, There there should be a separation in your walk. and, And there's a way that God has prescribed His children to do things. Church church without worship is a cold church. It's a dead church. Amen. How about this one? Try this one on for size. All right? Church with all worship and no preaching is a lukewarm church. Think about that. Cuz it looks like it's going to get hot. But you know what, you know what Jesus said about that lukewarm church? It's make me want to vomit you make me sick in my stomach. God would rather have a cold church than a lukewarm church. But more than that, He wants a church on fire. A church on fire has the worship that the preaching of the Word of God. A church on fire is whenever people show up and say, hey, come on down to university. God meets with them people. That's a church on fire. It takes the preaching... It takes the worship. How do you get it? Miss Debbie is through obedience to God. Let's pray. Let's get in this altar.